0: Hello everybody, hello, hello, hoping you're all well. This is Leo Anna Thomas of Mental Health in Film.
1: And funnily enough, I'm Matt Longley of Six Feet from the Spotlight. And I think I've got it right for the sixth week, that's a double hat trick. I think
0: you're six in a row now, that's yeah, good. Set,
1: which is perfect for six feet, isn't it, I suppose.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is good indeed. Uh, is it still sunny where you are? have got to talk it's about beautiful. the weather, we always mention the weather. It's
1: beautiful up here uh, and sunny, but... Um, it's going to cloud over tomorrow I think but it'll still be, yeah. be it'll still be sunny and nice
0: a bit of cloud and some rain is nice every now and again that's good
1: my my garden needs it I can tell you but there we are
0: there we go uh, we have a lovely guest with us today um, we have a TV producer who's become a friend mental health advocate and has set up something called TV Mindset we have Adil Amini Um. And we are pleased to have you here. Hello, how are you, love?
2: I'm very well. I'm really enjoying your chat about the weather. It feels like it's sometimes nice to just hear some mundane chat. Not that anything that you say is mundane, but yeah, just to hear about the weather as opposed to <laughs> what, uh, what's going on in the world.
1: Yeah, that's why Absolutely. we do it. So <laughs> That's why we do it. We need to get yeah. away from some of the stuff that's going on at the minute. So, uh, yes. Yeah. Welcome, no, it's, Adil.
0: It's, yeah, welcome. How very are you much. doing i'm sure I'm sure you're in london right
2: uh, I'm in bradford actually i'm okay. with, I'm normally in London, but I am with my family in Yorkshire, which was a very smart thing to do um, and yeah it's well I'm doing all right. I just also wanted to say you know a big shout out to both of you guys for the work that you do and you know whenever when I first started doing the work. That, that I do which we'll talk about very shortly a lot of people which like, say you need to meet Leo and Matt so um, <laughs> I'm really glad to be doing this I feel like it's been on the cards for a really long time and certainly without you guys doing what you do I couldn't be doing what I do so thank you
0: thank Bless you yeah. that's really kind to say and the feelings are mutual yeah. and I've had many people say you've got to meet a deal you've got to meet a deal so it's all come together which is wonderful
1: yeah. Well we're, we're all in this together aren't we we've all got the same aims in the end so uh, yeah it's great to talk to you
0: it is great to talk to you, and we're going to talk about something a little bit specific today. You've been very open about BPD, borderline personality disorder, and uh, I myself was diagnosed with BPD uh, in 2015. So we're going to kind of we're going to try and keep it a little bit based on BPD, and I guess what that looks like from when you were diagnosed. Any connections that uh, that came to mind that made sense for any actions or situations you found yourself in prior to diagnosis and then maybe if there's any connection there and then talk about how also what it's like living with BPD and especially in the industry the t- TV and film industry. Um, if anyone's not sure what BPD is I you type it into just put BPD into Google and the first thing that will come up is uh, the NHS website and I'll just read what it's on there what, what that describes as Uh, borderline personality disorder bpd is a disorder of mood and how a person interacts with others it's the most commonly recognized personality disorder in general someone with a personality disorder will differ significantly from average from an average person in person in terms of how he or she thinks perceives feels or relates to others so uh there's many much there's so much more information out there on the web but that's just the first one that will come up from Google and um, I guess thank you for being here and, and sharing with us really pre- appreciate that I will say first of all that when I when you when I heard that you I'll say came out BPD but when you mentioned that you had BPD I felt really relieved and connected because uh, I've been talking about it for a couple of years and decided to just talk very openly about it at work and many people were like what the fuck is that like what is that and kind of educating people as you go and so I've not met many people that have been so vocal about it and thank you for doing that and I guess I guess kind of want to start with the diagnosis if you're happy to share about what that was like for you and when.
2: Yeah absolutely so my diagnosis came in uh, 2015 and um I'm going to probably apologise to people straight away because we're going to go into the heavy stuff pretty quickly. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the time, I was in, and, and I apologise yeah, There are some trigger trigger warnings. Um, that I'm sure will be attached. But um, I was in an abusive relationship, and I was a drug addict. Um, so I was in the TV industry. I'd been in the industry for about eight years. Uh, yeah, about eight years, nine years, um, and. It sort of, I'd I'd been misdiagnosed, I think, for most of my 20s. I think that was the key, is that, you know, I was told that I had depression and that was pretty much it. And I couldn't really understand throughout my 20s why I sort of seemed to feel things way more disproportionately than other people, especially my trigger was relationships. And I should probably clarify, I'm sure Leo can back me up on this, but you know, with BPD, obviously I speak from a certain perspective with a certain set of, you know, life events um, yep. and, you know, emotional responses, just like a lot of other mental health issues, it is on a spectrum and, you know, people deal with it differently, people manifest differently. Um, yep. So, you know, in for my uh, situation, it was relationships that was the trigger and that feeling of abandonment and... Um, it used to, I would go out with somebody for like two weeks and it would end. And by the end of it, I would be devastated as if I'd married them and it was a divorce and I'd be on the floor and it would be so painful. And I couldn't understand. I was like, am I just, you know, and I hate using the word, but this is what I thought because this is what we're taught to thought, which is, am I just crazy? Am I just, yeah. just you know, neurologically and emotionally defective because I can't process things the way other people can? How can people date somebody for two weeks? and then just go off being normal, or normal in, in yeah. air. <laughs> yeah. Um, So it's, uh, yeah, so that was sort of the, the, the sort of preamble to 2015. And in that year, I had a series of um, life-changing events, which was uh, firstly changing my financial financial situation. So I didn't really have um, as much money as I did, you know, used to, to pay my rent. I had to, you know, I could only access it later on. Because of um, some weird limited, comp- changing from not being a limited company to being one. Um, yeah. And then I, um, so because of that, I left my flat. So I was living in my brother's uh, box room on the floor, no less, um, with just a tiny window. Um, there was a steam iron and um, bags of rice and supplies above my head. And I would wake up literally, I'm, I'm six foot two. So I was just like in this box room with all these shelves above me, literally sleep, sleeping on what were essentially just like toe percussions, um, you know, making a bed out of that. And um, you know, going from having pretty much, you know, everything in an independent life to suddenly, you know, living on that floor, not having a job, you know, a struggle, I'd just become producer, and it was hard to get jobs in between, uh, because essentially you start all over again, you're competing with with other producers. Um, and then obviously this this up and down, on and off um, relationship that, that I realised only after I came out on the other side of it a year later that was, was very abusive. Um, and I, bear in mind, you know, I didn't even drink. So I was like teetotal as well. And, you know, one day I was just sort of looking for an escape so deeply unhappy that I um, went onto one of the um, dating apps and found, you know, someone there. They offered me something, and you know it was a real internal cry for help because somebody who didn't even you know drink alcohol to right. resort to something even more you know like it, zero it was to a hundred like that yeah, exactly exactly and mm. zero to a hundred is such a a um, it's a key phrase that comes up a lot with uh, BPD is that you know there's never really much in between or moderation in your emotions or things like that. Um, and that's re- and when you don't know what you have, it's just, you don't, you know, and I didn't even know what the name for it was. I didn't know that this thing existed because there's very little education about it, very little representation about it. And, and I just didn't even think of it as a thing, you know, I'd heard of bipolar uh, disorder yeah. and other disorders, but I'd never heard of this. Um, and you know, things were really, things were getting really, really bad. Um, and it was on my 30th birthday in January that it was coming off the person that I was with, the, um, I, we were on the phone and he said something and I snapped at him and my anger just again went 0-100 and I went back to normal. He's like, do you know, do you just, do you realise what just happened there? And I said, no, not really. He said, you just flipped out at me and said the worst things somebody possibly could say to another human. And then you just went back to normal. Like that's
1: right, really yeah.
2: unusual. And um, he, I, I didn't think much of it. And then he sent me a link and he said, look, I want you to just read this, like, think this this applies to you
1: yeah and I
2: looked at it and I I read it was a wikipedia article but you know I (laughs) um I really think that um it yeah it really it was affecting me in a way that I didn't even I couldn't even process so I just started crying because I had thought myself as crazy and I'd been called crazy by exes or people who you know because I didn't even know what I was doing and um you know clearly everyone's default is to say that you're just completely you know off your trolley and unhinged and to see it all written in black and white you know I'm quite a practical person and to see it all written down really overwhelmed me um i finally had a name for what i was going through and if i had a name for it and there was a science behind it it meant that it was something i could get over and it, for me the diagnosis is really difficult because um, I was in therapy at the time. I was doing CBT and it really wasn't working. And I was trying to tell them, let do the NHS. I didn't have any money to do anything else. And they were, I was like, look, I think I might have this thing. And they're like, well, we're in this process already. So let's just carry on that. And then we can do the tests if, afterwards if you want to. And I was like, I literally feel like five out of the, you know, eight things on this checklist yeah. uh, the checklist um is things like reckless spending reckless sexual behavior drug abuse uh, suicidal thoughts depression anxiety you know there's there's a whole list of fear uh, of
0: abandonment uh,
2: yeah of abandonment yeah and it's sort of like if you t- tick like four or five of those you're probably on sort of the bpd scale in some way so i was like, telling i was like i i think you know this this has made everything make sense like you know i'm 30 i'm pretty sure you know that that i keep coming back to this because i've been misdiagnosed so eventually after a lot of arm twisting i um got the that i went through the the official sort of evaluation and was was given the the diagnosis which was january 2016 um and it was quite the 30th my birthday's in january so it was quite the 30th birthday present um <laughs> and it's really difficult to reconcile with because uh no one wants to admit that they've got a personality disorder no one wants yeah. to that they've got anything wrong with them let alone that their personality or something and, then, and it was really difficult to sort of see myself outside of that and you know yes The diagnosis and the knowledge helped me a little bit, but at the same time, there were a few months where I just couldn't come to terms with it because of the reasons I've just mentioned. And in March that year, I continued until it got way too much um, and continued on my reckless behavior. And I think a series of events happened again. um, And I I basically overdosed. Um, and somebody else also did that in front of me too. And that was the biggest wake up call that I needed. Um, nice. I was in love them. I was working as well. I was doing a very short job that I didn't enjoy, but you know, it was as I would just say that I was as low as a human being can go. That's where I was like a hundred percent. And if I didn't make the call for help and, and uh, it was a privilege, you know, it is privilege. I recognize that to, to have, you know, parents who I could call and who knew nothing about what was going on but knew I wasn't okay or was behaving erratically um, and say look I've I can't do that if I stay in London I will die like that that that's the black and white of it so you know they came the next day um, I quit my job or got one of my friends to take over I said look I can't if I stay one more day here I'm done for Um, and I got into the car left London thinking um, I might never come back and uh, never come back to the industry. And bear in mind, this whole time, I've been staying quiet on social media. I've not really told many friends. I didn't tell anyone in my industry. I just made excuses and left. And that was April 2016. And that is a wow. very long answer to your initial question. But <laughs> I it.
1: yeah.
0: No, it's, a, it's a, a really honest, direct answer. And that is that is going to support many people listening as it does me listening right now in this present moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank you for sharing. And thank you for also mentioning this like warning about possible triggers <laughs> <laughs> and also talking about going one to zero to a hundred. I just went straight in with, right, here we go. BPD. So, um, um, yeah, it's so I, I know when I was, I was diagnosed in 2015 and, I had had similar build-up in terms of uh, my relationship at the time I wasn't happy with, and I felt, I felt very – I had a huge fear of abandonment, basically, and kind of pushing people around me to see if they were going to leave, but I knew that that was causing problem. And I found it so dark at times that I realised I was drinking a lot more alcohol, I was, uh, it would be like a glass or two a night, and then it was turning into a bottle a night. And I would just—it was like water to me. At some point, it was just like a bottle a night is nothing. And my partner at the time was like, "That's not right. That's that you know that's not." And I—I had been I had been in counselling for a good two or three years, and my, it was my counsellor who who said, "I think there might be something more here that I can't." go further into that I can't necessarily diagnose if there is anything to diagnose. And um so after being in counselling for many years I just thought and it was actually my partner at the time that was very supportive and said, just go to the best doctor to see what's what. So I went to Harley Street and paid a lot of money to see somebody, just to be like, right, here's here's my history, here's all of this behaviour the current counseling isn't working what what's happening if anything and it was it was it was known as eupd emotionally unstable personality disorder at one point and that's actually what that's what i was on my report diagnosed as eupd but i don't know when the transition that it moved into bpd happened but uh i spent a good year in denial of just like bullshit what a shit. How can someone know me in an hour and a half and just tell me what I am? How dare you? But <laughs> but essentially I'd done my homework and arrived to a very a specialist doctor who's been working for like 45 years and it was all there black and white for this person and but I ignored it for a year and I didn't really say anything to anyone for a year and I was terrified to say something at work but I'm glad that I eventually did but I guess i do want to get on to talking about the work that you're doing now and we'll, we'll we'll kind of segue into tv mindset and all the brilliant work that you're doing for people's mental health um in the industry but i uh for me personally and i'll explain a little bit the connections i had and then see if there's any similarity or or any well, not similarity just kind of stories that you have that as soon as i had that diagnosis it clicked into place i was like it makes total fucking sense and I would just have these moments of like, oh yeah, that happened. Yeah, that that. Oh yeah, yeah, that happened. And always a fear of being abandoned or alcohol abuse. I didn't necessarily have drug abuse. It was alcohol was my drug. Um, and um, self harm. Uh. And at university, when I was nineteen, I attempted suicide and was so it all just kind of came flooding into all these little moments that were just like, I'm just a teenager having a hard time, or I'm just kind of struggling with some university work or a current relationship. But it was, it was when I was 21, when I left uni, I was dating a girl at the time. And I remember her flatmate had just lost her granddad in quite a severe way. And I was distraught because I couldn't figure out what, job to, to get or i couldn't figure out how to clean the bedroom and i was distraught and i remember she sat down with me and she was like this doesn't make sense like my friend downstairs has lost someone in her family and she's got a shit together you're talking about how you're going to hoover a room or how you might find a job and you are falling apart and it was little moments like that that just clicked for me that made sense and i guess a question i want to have to you is is that similar thing to you you did, did something kind of make sense at that diagnosis of connecting all the stories? No?
2: Everything made sense. Everything. Like, I think you just look around and you see what, you know, potentially, I don't think anyone is 100% neurotypical, but certainly what, what more accepted responses are to certain situations. And, you know, the example of relationships that I gave was, was definitely a, a good one. You know, I'd be that person who falls in love with someone after a week and you yep. look back at that now and you just oh, yeah. think like, yeah.
0: what? Like I, I actually the the girl that I just mentioned, sorry to interrupt, the girl that I just mentioned, I was in the flat, we were engaged after like three weeks. But also that's very <laughs> lesbian as well.
2: <laughs> I was gonna say like, not living up to a stereotype in any way. <laughs> no. Uh, no. But it's uh, yeah, it was it was that kind of thing and it was just also my responses to so many things in terms of my own depression and certainly as you say, you know and again, just to you know there are overlaps with um people's experiences, but yeah, suicide attempts, three of them twenty one yeah. twenty six and thirty um and you know the thoughts were there. I remember just you know emailing the person that i was I was with at the time and uh texting and saying these are all my passwords to all of my my accounts so i'm I'm off and I'm just sort of side wondering hamsmith flyover thinking, and, you know, then the police were at my house, and it was all very, 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 very traumatic for um, everyone involved. Um, and you look back, and, and you know, I suppose, but maybe I'm, I'm jumping the gun too much here in terms of where we're going to end up, but at the same time, you know, look, look, the way that we I'm talking about it now is that, I'm on the other side of it and certainly you know we have been talking about a lot of heavy stuff so while just to punctuate that a little bit on the way you know it does have a happy ending and it yeah. is interesting for me to look You're back at that person and think oh my god was that me and the truth is it was of course it is and that person does live inside me and he has the potential to to come out but I've learned over the last you know four years almost to the day um how to manage it and how to live with such a debilitating you know illness which is genuinely what I think it is when you're mm-hmm. on the floor and you are not capable mm-hmm. of doing the things that other people can uh, and I, I do have to remind myself of that sometimes when I'm campaigning or when I'm taking in a lot of emotional information or a series of bad things happen to me at time, I have to step back and say Dil, you do not have the same capabilities as other people and it's okay to admit that and I find that the most difficult thing to deal with which is a, again a privilege because you know people manage a lot of difficult things with dpd if mine is that i work too hard then great you know i'm gonna do that but i have to remind myself that you don't it, you're not 100 percent, you never will be you have this thing and things do take their toll and i have relapsed in in the past And it's important for me to just be okay with that and be easy on myself and realize that, you know, I don't have to prove anything to anyone by overcompensating for those things. But, you know, I I still feel like even that's an ongoing process. But for the most part, you know, talking about this person, you know, and and those things, it feels very, very alien. Um, It feels very weird to even think that that was the same person.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Were you, were you working in the industry all those times from 21 to 30? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I was yeah. straight out of uni, straight into the TV industry on a researcher training scheme. And then um, I was, uh, yeah, I was freelancing after the first 18 months um, and worked my way up from runner researcher to assistant producer. Um, and yeah, at the time it all happened, I was a producer. And again, I think you know a lot of the stuff that I do now is probably the privilege of being somebody who's a little later on in their career, as opposed to somebody who's starting out and potentially feels like they have a lot more to to lose. Um, but yeah, the industry was, has been part of my life throughout this this whole journey. Right.
1: And obviously, then the question is, do you think that? What do you think the industry could have done in those points to have helped you? And I know that's where we're going to get to in this, but if you've been working in that industry or in, in, in any other industry, is there something they could have specifically done to try and help you and support you? Or do you, or is that...?
2: Yes. I, the short answer is yes, and I'll elaborate. But I also want to, to sort of, you know, caveat that with the fact that I come from a traditional conservative Muslim South Asian family from the north of England. Um, you know, in terms of being in the intersection, it's a pretty fucking shit into the intersection because there's not much it's not talked about in that community, neither is sexuality. Like and then you go into the industry, you're just you feel like you're constantly making peace with parts of yourself. And because of that, you never really feel like you have value. Um your self-esteem takes a battering. And you know, when every at every point you're faced with examples of how you should be and how you should live and you know what what you know how everyone is coping um it, it really does you know I, I in a way i'm not surprised i went through what i did because i am just like well look what you had to work with <laughs> yeah. um yeah but, you know, then obviously there's like you know the editing of the gay community the pressure and you know i'm uh, i would this is not in in any way fishy but i have always believed myself not to be conventionally attractive and when you used to go on 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 uh, gay apps in the, in my 20s there would be very clear um you know comments saying no black uh, no black guys, no Asians, um, you know, no mm. fat, no fems. And I'm just like, well, you know, I'm a little bit chubby and, I, and I'm brown. And, like, you know, what's going on? And it, it's it just sort of, you know, again, you get into another community and, and you realise that your identity is being denigrated and who you are for exactly who you are is not yeah. good yeah. enough before they even had a chance to, to meet you. And, you know, so you just think, oh my God, I was battered from so many different angles. Like, I'm not surprised. I'm bloody I'm lucky to, to be out of it. But yeah, with the industry, so I agree, yes, the industry could have, but I also think that collective effort, I think nationally, we know that we're not um, where we should be in terms of mental health. So that was one thing, yeah. I think, um, as uh, the, so the South Asian community is not where it should be in terms of mental health. And 100% as the film and TV charities, uh, looking at our survey showed as an industry, we are not where we should be when it comes to mental health. Um, so yes, I think that the things that I felt as a freelancer, I don't know whether I would have felt any differently as staff, but certainly the work I do now is do with freelancers because that's what I experienced as a freelancer. Where was my community? Where was my network? I was brought in to do jobs, um, sort of a gun for hire. I do my job, I work the ridiculous hours and then I go off and do, you know, just that I'm released into the world with no support, no aftercare, no checking in, no uh, pension, no health support, no holiday, uh, no access to counselling or occupational health. And um, that definitely contributed to... to yeah. You know, and then you can't share what you're feeling because there's a pressure to be so on top of your game and so employable all the time. You can't be seen to, you know, have any flaws or anything that may potentially um, take a job away from you because someone thinks you're unstable, even though you might have all of your shit together. Um, So that also suffocates you and you can't talk about it. You you know, you can't write about it. You can't talk to a colleague about it in case they say it's somebody else. And I, it was only after I left and I thought I wasn't coming back that I finally, you know, went to my Medium page and I've got a lot of articles about borderline personality there. So if anyone wants to read them, you know, by all means do go there. But that was the first time I committed something to paper and I shared it yeah. on my Facebook and it just exploded. Like people were just like, holy crap. Because obviously you give the image out, everything's fine. And, you know, there, everyone's like, oh my God, I thought you had everything and the life was fine and this and that. And I was like, well... I'm I'm tearing down the image and the reality of social media. Like that's that was one of the things and I thought I was only doing it because I had nothing to lose. I thought I wasn't coming back to the industry. But you know, four years later I'm still here. So (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't the end of the world that I was thinking. Well
0: thank you. Thank you for doing that. I I, similarly when I left the industry, I left for four years, about four years. And it was it was then that I took the, the diagnosis very seriously and then went into dbt the dialectical behavior therapy and that's personally i didn't know whether i'd go back to the industry i knew that it was an ingredient to making me feel more unstable with the freelance lifestyle but i also knew that i get bored very easily and i tried a number of different jobs and uh in the end went into b went into dbt and then i when i came back to the industry was actually when i started being vocal about it as well and thought I don't care anymore I just want to I this is nothing to be ashamed of and this is a strength of mine actually and um, and as soon as I started talking about it kind of I tested the waters on set and I started mentioning what was happening and the stories and people were like where were you why did you go and I just thought fuck it going to tell you and it was very open and it was amazing it was just a flood of like stories that came in of like it was like wow I have permission to speak now and yes, I will listen.
2: I, um, I would never, you know, recommend it for anyone and never encourage anyone to go that way. But rock bottom was one of the re- most liberating things that ever happened to my life. But the reason that, you know, I'm sure we both do what we do is because we don't want other people and people that we care about, people we haven't even met, to have to get to there in order to realise yeah. what we realised. I think that's the key thing is that, you know, yes, it, it was... I had nothing to lose. I didn't really care and, and not caring... Very much, you know, cared from day one about you know what the community thinks and what you know the mosque thinks and what you know people think. And it's just you know what the industry thinks, and the minute you stop giving a shit about that, that is, it just becomes your life becomes you know your own. And I do uh, you know I have to say that on the other side of it as well, like post diagnosis and post all of these realizations, I always tell people I think you know even you know the way I was talking about the person who was you know going to take his own life like i genuinely feel like my life started at the age of 30 because right. that was the point where all of the shackles and the expectations that i had of myself and other people had i just i just blew them apart as i was like, i did everything by the book i did everything i could to be a model version of, of you know every person and every version of that person in every sphere of my life and i still ended up where i ended up so what did that tell me that there is no right way that, you know, that I just had to be me. And when I started listening to that voice, it was it was incredible. And a lot of people I, I do attribute, you know, through this this crisis, the COVID crisis, you know, a lot of people have been saying you seem to be doing all right and, and thriving and doing all of this stuff. And I was like, it's because I've been here before. I've been to a place where all my future plans were cancelled and I had nothing going for me and I didn't know when, when it was going to end. And I came out of that. So I'm kind of now able to use that experience to, to you know, do it differently and help other people get through it as well.
0: So, yeah, uh, people saying that you're, you seem to be coping well during COVID. It's funny, you say, it's funny you say that because I've had similar people, I've had that uh, said to me. And um, also just the fact of being a freelancer and used to having large chunks of time out of work and knowing how to keep um, some sort of routine. Uh, The older I've gotten, the more uh, having a routine has helped with the BPD for me personally and just trying to stick to those things. So it's, it's, it's interesting this time we're going through and how it's affecting mental health in general. And I guess that would be a good segue into TV Mindset t v mindset with what's happening right now, so uh can you tell us a little bit about it, please, and what the amazing work you've been doing
2: uh I can so obviously, I managed to recover and I got the help that I needed, and i um uh sort of jumped back into a job that I'd done before. So I knew it was relatively familiar, but I also said, um, if it doesn't work and I feel the same way that I have in the past, then I will just leave and I'll come back. But I'm going to give it one more try because I love what I do. And why should I stop doing that? Because of something that I didn't choose or something that, you know, yes, the onus was on me to to sort of um, fix it, I suppose, not the right term, but, you know, certainly support myself. But why should I be torn away from something I've given, you know, almost 10 years of my life to? So I got back and obviously without trying to run before I could walk, I did several jobs and it was only in 2018 that I realised I was in a position where I was more secure. Um, that, uh, you know, that, that I was able to help other people, I think is, um, it, it, that that became the focus of for me is that, okay, I think I'm in a better place now and I'm, you know, I, I think I do have, something called mental health privilege which is the ability to be secure enough in myself and manage my mental health on a day-to-day basis that I'm now able to help others you know I could just manage it say great I've sorted my shit out off off I go and and live my life and and go back but it's like no 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 now I can now you know help other people and stop this from happening again um so yeah, it was funny. I started mentioning it to ITV at the time, and I said, "Look, I want to do some sort of mental health coffee morning." And, and the film and TV charity weren't on my radar at that point, so I didn't know that they were doing all of that stuff um, that they'd been doing. But I just wanted to make a difference on the ground level for freelancers. I was working at a bigger company, and this was before ITV, and that's where the idea started because I saw they were having loads of community events and they had loads of support. And I said, "I've never felt." anything like that. I've never felt connected or a part of anything. And maybe that's something to do with the isolation that we all feel as freelancers. And I said, well, what can I do to change that? And then of course the idea was to bring people together in a way that they do feel connected. Um, so that was the idea. That, and then I said that to ITV and they're like, yeah, we want to make that happen. So fast forward to January, 2019, uh, again on my birthday, which is where things, I see the things.
0: Suspicious birthday. I said,
2: yeah. I said, look, you know, the, the best gift you could give me is to share this and I shared the poster um I shared the event and it is probably even till now well one of my most shared um things that you know on Facebook in fact there, there are three things that have been most shared which I will get to um but it sort of sums up sums up the journey both on social media and beyond but uh, remind me to come back to that um yeah. And, yeah, people reached out, and immediately I knew that I was doing something right because why would so many people respond to it in this way if there wasn't a need for it you know that's That's always the measure of what I do is the you know just just thinking what the reaction is um yeah. and and you know when that letting that guide me um and yeah, we were sort of all of the, I think we only had like 50 tickets or 40 because we thought, hmm, is anyone going to do this or what? They were gone within three minutes, like or less than that. Like It was ridiculous how quickly it all went and people were just like clamoring for the waiting list. And I thought, wow, you know, this is something. Um, We did the event. At that point, they didn't have the catchy name of the TV mindset, and it was called Freelancers Mental Wellness Mornings, which doesn't roll off the tongue. (laughs) 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 You
0: make make it sound very (laughs) roll off (laughs) the (laughs) tongue
2: (laughs) But it was, um, I just thought, you know, as I work on catchphrase at the moment, so say what you see, you know, that's that. (laughs) Um, I didn't really have, I didn't think it was, I just thought, you know, it's something, I might do one of them, I might do two, but I'm just going to do them and see what happens. Um, And then, yeah, by the time that the crisis hit, the COVID crisis, I think we've done three with a view of possibly doing a fourth. And um, they've all been a huge success. Um, You know, we've had people from different um, places speak at them. Again, this was all pre-crisis, but I was lucky to have met people from the film and TV charity and Screen Skills, you know, a year ago before any of this happened. So now it made everything since then a lot easier in speaking to broadcasters and just really highlighting a lot of um, the stuff that, that happened. And then in um, January of 2020, it's when it evolved into um, the TV mindset and for my fellow nerds. You know, it was, it's like the next stage of being a Pokemon basically evolved you know, to comment in the <laughs> newest, stronger form.
1: Um,
2: and that was... Due to the uh, help of the film and TV charity, um, because they were looking for somebody to be a case study for their Looking Glass survey. And we do go back to the industry here, and their problem was that no one was willing. No one was willing to put their face and their name and their story um, in print or on on camera. And, you know, again, luckily, I I feel like with my posts and and the stuff I wrote at Medium and the stuff I was doing, I was like, Everyone knows my story anyway. I, you know, I don't really care. Yeah. It's out there. Even if I don't tell it, they can just Google it and find it, or like add me as a friend and somehow find it. It really not make difference to me. And I'm still working. You know, I'm lucky to do jobs with great people in, in, in entertainment, which is you know the genre that I love. So I said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll be a voice on your animated film. I'll do that, and I will um, do the Sky News interview, BBC interview, Telegraph interview, a uh, broadcast one. And I didn't think anything of it. I was like, just this is kind of. You know the norm for me now. I woke up one Thursday morning in February, um, and uh, I, my phone was just blowing up. And like Dear yeah. your yeah. face is everywhere. It's like, what the hell are you on about? <laughs> and I looked. was like, oh, okay. I did not realize. I know you asked for a picture, but I also didn't know that I was going to be front and center of literally every article yeah. about this. Because I just yeah. thought, you know, the stats were so incredible like you know the the was it 86 percent of people suffering from you know mental health issues and yeah um over 50 percent with um suicidal thoughts and i just thought that's the story for me and and i just thought i'd be a footnote or like several paragraphs down you know and here's a quote from producer no it's the other way around and i was like oh shit okay cool (laughs) so um my inbox that day was just uh yeah it was it just blew up and again you don't really realise what your impact is, or what what something like that will do, until you hear the stories and and so much stuff um, that, that's just coming through. And and at that point, I was like, okay, this is a legitimate thing. Like the T, the film and TV charity does exist, but also you know, as a freelancer perspective, because you know, even through all of the other stuff that they're doing, it's all very sort of. Um, organization focused and what, what people can do in terms of um, systems and again I, I you know just wanted to make sure that the freelancers had a voice all the way through so yeah. I turned I, I just sort of came up with the name the TV Mindset and so yeah that kind of just stuck and we were going to do another we were going to announce another event literally a week before the crisis hit and lockdown happened and then obviously that that um yeah you know, we I've done the poster and everything and we was like now let's cancel it. And um, yeah, during the coronavirus crisis, it's really taken on a life of its own that I never could have predicted. And I'd, I can't even say, none of it was planned. Like, I can't yeah. even say that, you know, anything that has happened, it has started to become planned, but it. everything that I did at the beginning, so we did webinars with loads of key industry figures, and then since then we've done loads of wellness uh, events, financial events, uh, which I drifted off from because that's not really my sort of special special area of knowledge um and, you know we've done so many things we've done about stigma in tv the culture of fear you know we're going to do stuff for pride and uh, you yeah, know diversity related but everything has just sort of been a gut reaction to a what would I have wanted at that time and B, what do I think people might want and benefit from well how can I get help to people straight away without jumping through any red tape and just you know bringing stuff in and mm-hmm. I'm really proud of it um, you know, I, I don't really talk about it much as a sort of from the outside, but um, if I'm now given the platform, I'm... <laughs> <There you go. laughs> um, I, you know, I'm, I'm really proud, you know, no matter what happens with it after this, cause obviously I still have my day job. I've been working all the way through this crisis as well. So I do my day job to a certain time of day and do TV mindset stuff at night, you know, happy to, to, you know, jump on podcasts and, and everything, spread awareness you know, had a lot of good press through broadcast and variety and that kind of thing. And and you know, I'm sitting in my room in Bradford where I grew up, and and thinking, "Oh my <laughs> god, what is happening? Like, how, how is this happening? Like this is insane. I never even imagined it." And you know, out of everything bad, does come something good. And 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 again, it's coming back to the birthday thing. You know, the three points. One was. diagnosis of BPD which which felt like the end of the world. Um, Number two was sharing you know my story but also sharing um, the first event that I ever ran which wasn't even in the TV mindset name Um, and that was sort of the middle bit of of the work beginning to start and you know birthday this year um, you know and and everything around it it was sort of the start of the film and TV charity Stuff yeah. um and and which has now led to this. So, you know, it's sort of a bit of a looking back at in at those milestones, it's like, yeah, you you know, it does lead somewhere. There there is and, and yeah. you know don't get me wrong. I not everyone who suffers BPD and gets on the other side of it needs to become an activist or a campaigner. Like it's just my personality and what I naturally fell into. I didn't plan it all. Even this morning, I was saying to somebody, "I, was like, I don't think of myself as an activist," and they're like, "What?" <laughs> hey, so I don't ever ever see myself becoming that person. But you just go with the need of the moment and the hour, and you just see what's around you, and you think, okay, well, you know, if I've got a platform now and I've got that. that the ability to have a voice or say something that will make a positive difference or make someone feel included where I didn't and I'm going to use it and that's exactly what I've tried to do and like I say whether this carries on beyond that who knows you know the film I'm just one person in the bedroom eating cheese in his pants while he's like sending emails but you know there's people with resources and things you know they can do a lot more than I can so I'm just doing what I can while I can until the next thing comes yeah. along
0: thank you yeah. for doing that and what an image of you that's, eating yeah. cheese in your pants that's great <laughs> and, hey um, look
2: for enough money i'll send those images out I
0: don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> but it it's it goes to show and you're quite right people. people with bpd diagnosed or undiagnosed who may be listening and thinking they've had similar situations everyone's journey is very different and what adil and i are talking about is very kind of personal in, in terms of our stories and it comes across very differently for very different people. Um, but yeah, as soon as you open up that honesty and that truth and that commitment and that knowledge of safety, that enough's enough and this is it. You, if you go in and you're fine, I'll be fired for this or I'll lose my job for this or I'm not happy with this. I'll walk away. It's a really empowering feeling. It's, it's um, it, with all the, with all the kind of the bullying and harassment that's happening too, and has happened in the past on sets. I, I, I've had that that feeling of empowerment of I will I will call it out if I see it or speak to it if I'm being if I'm personally experiencing it and I'll call it out non-aggressively and very directly and the same with any mental health problems that I can see around me it's it's and I reached a point of like if if uh, if I see that and it doesn't work for me anymore I'll happily walk away. And I, for my whole of my, I started in this industry when I was 24 and I'm 39 this year. And I, it took like the first year, the first period of me being in this industry, I felt terrified I couldn't speak. And I was, didn't want to kind of rock the boat, so to speak. But now it's it's great to be on the other side of it, similar to your story, just to kind of accept it, speak to it, have therapy, recognize what works, share with other people. And as soon as you have all that collective stories coming through it's just just an empowering feeling so thank you for sharing and and all the amazing work you're doing
2: I'm I'm, you know I'm very grateful for the opportunity to share and I think you know what you guys are doing especially in the film world as well which is so different to to tv you know it all it's a collective effort and and as you guys said earlier we are all in it together um, and, and I've always made this pact with myself is that, you know, every time I go up and talk about my story, which, you know, I might get bored of hearing, but it reaches a new audience every time. But if me telling my story helps just one person get out of there, and I said that with the freelancers wellness mornings as well, I said, look, one person might turn up to these. I, I want to do them monthly and hopefully, you know, with the BFI when this is over, we will be doing some sort of like Tuesday, you know, weekly drop thing. But as I said, even if one person comes to it, for that one person, that could be the, the difference between life and death. And for that reason alone, it's worth yeah. it. The reason I, I tell my story is that um, for me, it's just my story. But for the people listening, it could just make a difference to one person. And, and that alone is the reason it's worth it.
0: Yeah. And now we've got an added part of that story with you eating cheese in your pants.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's going to be the quote, isn't it? That's going to be... Sorry, I feel like
0: you were about to say something really, really like...
2: No, 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 that's, that's about not- it. Well, the funny thing is that, that what people don't realise, that this is, you know, where I'm like, oh God, you know, my social media is quite funny, is that... You know, the, the thing that I I am and naturally just a ridiculous human being. I am frivolous. I work in comedy and entertainment. I used to be a stand up comedian and write sit sitcom. Like I that and that my my way of dealing with things is humor. And somehow over the the last few months, I do have this reputation of being like you know. And I'm just like actually you no. Know, there's still another part of my personality and an entire other side that people don't know. And again, it's that thing of like you know. There's so much more about me that people either don't know or even when I go on dates. You now I'm with somebody now, but. Um, I'm also very open about what I have because I don't want them to be blindsided and I'd rather know now whether they're in for that and it's not something I would ever expect anyone to deal with because it's quite a lot for me to deal with and I'd just rather be open about yeah. it. But you just think, you know, there's so many facets of all of our personalities and it doesn't define you. You know, you're not, I'm not just my BPD, I'm not just my sexuality or my skin colour. I am this rounded individual who happens to <laughs> fall into several categories but fuck it, like I'm still me. Like I'm still, you know... Uh, yeah this this as as people know is this absolute yeah. loudmouth cheeky brat who, who will <laughs> <laughs> noise either making noise or a bit of a spectacle of himself but, but you know i wouldn't change a thing for it
0: well it's wonderful don't change a thing sorry matt go
1: ahead <laughs> i was just saying it's what what makes you you isn't it so that's exactly uh, and why not accept it and um embrace it yeah
2: yeah and i think you know i don't know again i can't speak for film i'm sure you guys can can Back me up, that that's the sort of thing we need. We need, you know, Leos and Mats and deals in this. In because the, the funny thing is, is you know, people are just like, oh my god, you know, you're doing this stuff and making difference, and you're speaking up. And I'm like, yeah, no. The real funny thing is that the way that this industry is modelled and what it's built on means that another ideal can't get in to make these voices because somebody like me with no TV connections from Bradford won't be able to get a foot in the door. So you're championing someone you've let through, or somebody you've managed to cling on thanks to you know a series of events, but there won't be another deal because you're not, this industry isn't open and inclusive. Yeah, exactly. so that's yeah. Why I think, yeah, we need to be ourselves. We need to, you know, yeah, do a few difficult things. And, and I think I would just sort of, for anyone listening who's perhaps not as experienced in the industry as, as we are, those are the people that I'm worried about because I'm just like, you, should, you shouldn't have to get, you know, 10 years into the industry in order to feel comfortable for yourself. You know, no. being authentic and, and having a right. voice is important from day one. And the more you stifle that, the more you'll end up the way that I did. Yeah. So I really want to make sure that, you know, people who do listen to me and do engage in TV mindset stuff know that they've, they've got support and allies. And hopefully yeah. there are more people like me um, who, who are coming out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, 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 totally agree. And it's, it's all the work that we're all doing individually and as a collective, it's, it's to help that generation coming in. Right. Cause I always said that I wouldn't want to be a standby art director in my forties cause it's physically exhausting and I'd hope to have a family which I still would like to have and it's not going to be conducive to a, a balanced life for me but I would happily stay in the industry to try and do this well-being, well-being facilitator role or have some sort of advocacy that will push for the, this new role to be in place so people coming in if they have a mental health diagnosis or not or if they're dealing with stress or bullying or anything there's something there to look after them and it's that's the main drive for this it's it might not take place in my generation in my time at work but it I hope that it damn well does with people coming in and, yeah, and
2: I think, I think yeah. on that note as well one of the things I've always said there's sort of two um you know mo's of tv mindset and the way that um I operate one is is just the phrase never again you know what happened to us and what happened to to me and the people that we see or even us as a collective that it should never happen again to anyone and we will do whatever we can to, to make sure that happens. But, yeah, when I founded these um, events, my thought was, you know, a lot of these companies are, the companies that we work for are worried about their bottom line and their finances. And, you know, we are pitted against each other, even though we are the biggest, you know, workforce and, and the biggest sort of stakeholder in, in, in the industry. So I, I, my ethos is, yeah, you know, we can't expect them to be there for us. So why don't we try and just be there for each other? And I think if we could start with that, then, then that, that's certainly a way forward. And I'm really pleased to say that during this crisis, that, that's definitely the um, the values that I've seen. And I'm really proud of being part of this industry as a result.
1: Yeah, Me no, too. Pe- People have stuck together, and that needs to continue. I think yeah. is the way the way forward. And the people who run it need to be shown that by you guys sticking together and by everyone having. Uh, looking after themselves they actually get a more their bottom line will be better and their creativity will be better and that's that's the way to demonstrate it to them
2: totally yeah. that's it but well, that's what we're all going to do you know the work yeah, exactly. goes. that's a thing it's like you know this is yeah you know it's, it's reassurance to people as well that you know you know we do what we do because, you know, we love it. It's, it's who we are. But also, you know, there are people fighting your corner and while change might happen yep. at the night, you know, you just be, be rest assured that it is happening and, and we won't rest until, until we see that change happen. Yeah.
0: I think that's uh, just, yeah. Echo what you said. That's exactly right. Yep. And I think um it is going to shift and change and it's anybody listening who might need advice or help. Uh, the TV mindset is on Facebook, on Instagram. And obviously we've still got our six foot from the spotlight in mental health and film, but I'll also put uh, written in the post when I post this, any other places that people can go to signposts for anyone uh, thinking they may have BPD or want to know more about that. So we'll have places to look, but thank you so much for your time. I think think what you said was a perfect way to wrap up the amazing work you're doing and we're doing and just sharing. Really, really grateful. Thank Thank you you. so
2: much for having me. And yeah, again, keep doing what you're doing. highlighting stories and just bringing out the you know i would say the darker sides but i suppose just the the less spotlighted sides of um the industry so yeah thank you so
1: much thank you adil been good to talk to you thank you and uh give us a wave give us a wave to or give my regards to yorkshire while i'm exiled down here in leicestershire (laughs) 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 thank you take care everyone
0: all right take care everybody take care and um Stay safe and be well. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.